1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast,
3: and we get the back view of him. And I mean it's just a mega.
2: 52 yards is a long shot. Uh Magma PI, so we named him.
3: No idea. Just but, a magnum. Yeah, just a magnet. I'm on Cam last year. We said probably 150, mid 150. Yeah. Same dough from the morning, come out with that nine pointer. Here, here steps out this 90 inch eight.
2: Point. Like, <laughs> yeah.
3: Ah. I'm like, okay, well, there's still a buck back there at Yeah. And then I'll step like another 90 inch eight yeah. pointer. I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm like, dear, right there. Yeah. Like, and he's already yards. 30 yards. Yeah. He, he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been, had a buck down at 140 in the afternoon back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 245, 24 yards shot, sent the combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done. Yeah.
2: And when you killed that go, I was like, hell yeah, man. He come down here to missouri my ass homie. one more time i'm like is it a good buck and he goes yeah real good solid buck i'm like all right boom <laughs> and the deer just drops for sure super special to me
3: whitetail legacy podcast bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy
2: baller rut this is the Whitetail Legacy podcast coming in your ear holes, and we're gonna sound extra extra crispy <laughs> right now because we got the bush apple Ooh. finally. Long wait, um, this shit's like gold. It's hard to find this stuff.
3: I say I'm about to find it. I can't get rid of the corn can yeah, just yeah.
2: yet. <laughs> he's, he's starting off slow. I went straight for the, or the I should say, straight the for the tree. Can. Yeah. All right, uh, we're gonna get into the show here. Um, we have Michael Reed on this is a guy it's funny like you watch him on tv but you might not ever catch the name he's uh been with midwest whitetail for a long time kills giants and uh he's gonna come on the legend here and talk about the buck he called prodigy if you have not watched this video you literally it's one of the most epic whitetail hunts i've ever ever watched it's up there for sure just i mean i've never seen a dude backstroke in a (laughs) white that's all i'm leaving he'll get into the story um it's an awesome podcast guys um we're going to get into the people to make this possible and we're going to get into the show we we'll start out with the vip broadhead um the vip veteran is still 35 dollars guys um you can get into that if you've been wanting to try the veteran two blade cut on contact variable cutting with broadhead um 35 bucks and you can get your pack to your door that's a great price um for for a pack of broadheads these days Um, All-American-made product. You got the VIP shout-out?
3: Yeah, this week's shout-out is uh, a two-parter. This is part one. this week is going to be Tyson Trunkhill. Uh, he has 21 years of service, and uh, he's always used archery as a form of therapy and release from his symptoms of PTSD. So uh, we'll continue on with his shout-out uh, next week. But uh, for this week right now, I just wanted his personal shout-out. And uh, Tyson, we appreciate your service. And uh, as we will find out more next week, uh, appreciate everything you're doing for fellow veterans.
2: All right. was ecw calls all your custom call needs right here in roseville illinois check them out if you need grunt tube duck calls um, jk williams whiskey barrel calls coming yeah. at you now
3: and this week for exodus uh, exodus has started their annual campaign of velvet fest It's something that we really love the last few years. Um, If you're not familiar with it, it is basically the official start to the deer season, and you know Exodus is just helping everybody make sure that their cameras are out there taking pics and uh, just getting you more jacked up for season than you probably already are. Um, I know when Velvet Fest comes around, man, that just means season's getting closer and closer. Um, Also, Velvet Fest is a great time to pick up a new camera from them. Um, Here's the deal. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card that you'll have to scratch off to reveal the prize Um, i've been told they've got some big deals going on uh, so you're not going to want to miss out and then they're going to sweeten the pot even more for you guys each week they're going to have a special offer along with a grand prize and just as a teaser here's the grand prize for each week of the velvet fest celebration week one they got a 2021 october archery hunt with steve shirt guide service Week two, they have a shoulder mount from Urine Taxidermy. And week three, they got a September archery hunt. This season, with Wicked Obsession in Kentucky, and a shoulder mount from the National Award-winning studio, Full Draw Taxidermy. So, uh, some pretty big prizes right there. For any orders on the website during the designated week, you'll be automatically entered with any purchase on the website for the grand prize. So, there's a lot to do in this campaign, so you just want to head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com And uh, make sure that you're on their newsletter because you won't want to miss out on any of those opportunities. Um, If you're not familiar with Exodus, just give you some cliff notes about their company. Over the last five years, Exodus has consistently shown that they build quality trail cameras that flat out work. And of course, the best trail camera warranty period that we love. Every single camera is backed with a five-year warranty that comes with theft and damage coverage. Uh, Yeah, five years. I mean, that's literally half a decade. So the exodus five-year warranty but you're most likely not going to need it because your camera's already built to last so um be sure to get them picks and use the hashtag velvet fest that's with a capital v and a capital f and uh be sure to get in there and get a get a camera picked up
2: all right you got next level dealer of the week
3: yeah this week's dealer for next level is going to be andrew Denbo out of ozark missouri uh, which would be in the southwest part of the state. Um, Andrew owns his own lo- own lawn and landscape business, and he also does food plots for uh, fellow hunters. So you can reach Andrew at 417-818-4748, and uh, that would be Andrew Denbow in the Ozark, Missouri area.
2: Nice. Yep, that's kind of where I grew up, just north there. So, All right, let's get into Ingram's outdoor obsession, all your taxidermy needs. Um, Ingram came out. Is going to spray the food plot for us just huge shout out to him for being a solid taxidermist and just a good friend man we, we he helps us out a bunch and yeah i can't wait to return the favor he's been mountain buck so much he hasn't even been out without to go put cams or stands or anything out oh, so wow. all right let's get in the show all right we got mike reed from midwest whitetail on how you doing tonight man
1: doing great hey thanks for having me yeah
2: thanks for coming on that's pretty awesome we did i didn't know we were so close man we could have Maybe did a in-person one sometime, but we, uh, we'd really appreciate you coming on. We're going to talk about a buck that you killed named Prodigy. who is just, the film is absolutely epic. Um, one of the coolest whitetail films I think I've ever seen. And, uh, we're not going to ruin it right here at the beginning, but, uh, just let the listeners know a little bit more about you and, uh, what you do for a living and where you're at right now.
1: Yeah. So I'm, uh, I live in eastern Iowa in the Iowa City area. I've been here for about uh, 12 years now. I grew up in south Louisiana. I uh, started hunting about age 10. Uh, learned everything from my grandfather. I hunted public land for, you know, over a decade and learned some woodsmanship and all that. Got eight with the bow hunting bug and moved up to Iowa for work, really. I'm a head and neck surgeon. I uh, actually did my residency training at the University of Iowa. And my wife and I just fell in love with Iowa and ended up staying up here, which which works out pretty well for a deer hunter. And uh, I bought my first farm up here about uh, six years ago, and I've just kind of gotten into all the management and trying to grow the the biggest bucks we can, and and uh, spend a lot of time in the in the tree during bow season.
2: Yeah, I remember an episode where. I think it was like your first hunt on a farm you just had bought or something, and you pass like a mid one sixty. You're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna let this one pass." And I'm like, "Man, yeah. the first hunt in." That was it was like some uh, like a swampy CRP kind of area.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's happened maybe more than once even. It seems kind of crazy to look back, but. You know, I didn't start out that way, obviously. I mean, I, I I grew up hunting public, hardcore. I mean, if it was brown, it was down, and like slowly but surely, I, uh, my hunting, uh, you know, goals changed, and I mean, I'll never forget when I first started kind of targeting, you know, five-year-olds, and uh, that was on a farm I hunted back in Louisiana. That was under a good management plan, and when you start seeing what they can become over time, you know, it becomes more interesting, especially once you get a few good bucks in your belt, you want to get some bigger ones. And people often say, I can't believe you passed that. It's like, well, you know, if I, I've killed a couple of them. I mean, it's not for everybody, but I'm ready to try to get the next one. And, you know, obviously we have some limited tags here in Iowa. It's not like it's a free for all. So you got to be a little bit selective. And I, I spend a lot of time in a tree. So I try to get the biggest ones I can.
2: Yeah. I feel like everybody starts off, you know, that transition where, they would you know they just want to kill everything and then once you if you fall in love with hunting and you hunt so much when you get past that man i can't kill a six-pointer because then i done buck hunting you know Mm -hmm. you done burn yourself and a bigger deer comes out in november and you're tagged out in october and you just keep putting the time in and eventually you get to the stage we're at you know i mean where we're trying to kill nice deer and then you get you shoot a bunch of nice deer and then you get the you know stage you're at where you just want to kill absolute giants you know what i mean so yeah it's just, just a it transition of mm-hmm. you put more time in you get older you get a little older it's almost not about i have to kill it's more like i want to kill something that i you know i want to kill this is if i kill cool but i want to kill this you know what i mean so
1: I yeah think that goes or even everybody. a particular buck yeah exactly yeah <clears throat> spending a whole year just chasing one particular deer or two particular deer you know now i've my oldest daughter i've got five little kids uh three girls and then twin boys and they're all between the ages of two and eight right now but my daughter um she oddly enough her first deer was like a 160 inch deer six and a half year old that i had three years of history with you know (laughs) i'm like ah i probably ruined her but uh (laughs) You know, I've always told her when we go out there, we can shoot whatever. You know, you just want to instill that uh, interest in hunting and, and make it fun. And and uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely, it's a natural progression. I mean, you want to get people out there hunting and have interest, but eventually I think we all kind of end up here where maybe hunting's particular bucks.
2: Yeah, my, uh, my wife wanted to get into hunting fierce, something fierce, and I was on one of her grandpa's farms. I know no longer hunt any of those, but um, she was – i kept passing this eight pointer kept passing this eight pointer i'm like man this deer's got to come back out when she's out here and then she shot it it's right at a 138 and then she's just like i'm good with that yeah and she has she she's went shotgun hunt a couple times but she won't shoot does she's just waiting for a giant you know what i mean but she don't want to put the time in to kill a giant she just wants sure. to go out there and get lucky again now so i did ruin her it's like oh, yeah. i killed one nice one i'm done you know what i mean yeah yeah but, yeah
1: that'll do yeah <laughs> That's funny. Uh,
2: All right. Well, let's get into the story a little bit. You can start off wherever you want. Um, Like I said, for our listeners, if you have not seen this episode of Midwest Whitetail, I mean any episode of Midwest Whitetail, but especially this one, this one's so awesome. So go ahead and dive into the story of Prodigy.
1: Yeah, sounds good. So this particular farm, um, it's a river bottom farm in Iowa and and, uh, bought it in 2017. We closed on it in November. And um, so we had, we had a good year that year. In fact, we referenced some of our encounters uh, that year in the video for, the, for Prodigy. And uh, I was chasing a buck called Marino. We had actually encountered him that year. I thought he was a four-year-old. And we were being really selective that year, trying to – any deer that we thought might be four, we were passing them and trying to just grow the biggest deer we could. And then uh, 2018, the farm went underwater for multiple months. And um I I never even hunted out there. And so then nineteen rolls around and it's like my first full year on the farm and we ran cameras in eighteen and we ran them pretty hard in seventeen. So we had there was a few bucks that had made it through and um one of the bucks in eighteen, despite the flood late season was this deer that looked like a three and a half year old and just had I mean, basically a basket rack but lots of points and, and um that's this is deer we called Prodigy. That's how he got the name. We're like, Man, what a buck. And, Pretty sure he was three and a half, and um, he showed up in the summer of 19, and he had blew up. I mean, I think he added, you know, 40 inches. And basically, we started going back and forth, me and my buddy I own it with, about whether or not we should shoot him. And both of us like to target five and a half year old bucks or older. So if we were in a bubble and we could pick when we shoot deer, we would not shoot any of them until they hit five and a half. Obviously, we're not in a bubble, and this farm's about 200 acres, and uh, it's not like we're in a big, a big co-op, and so we kind of just crossed our fingers, like, well, let's not target him, let's see what happens. Who knows where he's going to end up? He might not even be on our farm. This, you know, he's just here in the summer, like, just not knowing what would happen. We kind of started the year thinking we wouldn't necessarily target him, which uh, he disappeared. I mean, we're getting pictures of him pretty infrequently and then i was hunting the farm i actually shot a great buck uh october 26 100 like a low 170s 172 173 buck with my bow on that farm and so my year basically last year was already awesome after that hunt and uh I, jared went in there my, my buddy jared mills that owns it with me and killed a good buck a couple days later and i said well i got another tag let me get back in there and hunt this buck we called merino that we had three years issue with and lo and behold you know, prodigy showed up and he was just all over the farm on cameras running all around November 2nd. I went in there and, uh, made a hunt, kind of a surveillance hunt, did a hanging hunt on a set off in the, in the wetland where I could see a lot of the farm. And this deer comes out prodigy and ends up coming all the way into 30, 35 yards, tearing up a tree, crazy encounter. And in my head, I'm like, well, he's a four year old and I'm not going to shoot him. And, uh, you know, then he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as he gets closer and closer and closer. I'm like, this is 200 is deer, and I'm sitting here with a bow in my hand, and I'm just, not in my hand, a bow on the hanger, and the uh, Sony in my hand just filming him, and uh, ultimately decided to pass that deer that evening and uh, kind of came home and, and talked to my co-owner, my buddy, and kind of circled back around on, on what we should do with him and, uh, you know, it's hard to pass a deer like that, even for someone who does <laughs> try to shoot, you know, mature deer or five-plus-year-old deer. I ended up calling multiple neighbors, you know, a lot of those guys, see if they'd be interested in passing him and, um, you know, seeing if what we look like the next year. Because if he's 200 or 400, I mean, he's, could he be one of those deer that's 250 at, at five? And, and everybody was like, dude, you're crazy. None of us, we're all hunting him, we're not passing him. And so at that point I said, well, you know, if I get another chance with the bow, you know, I'm going to take it. I was still in there hunting merino, Marino's six a six-and-a-half-year-old deer that we had three years of history with. But knowing that, you know, there's a possibility this deer would come in uh, if I was out there. And sure enough, November 5th, uh, beautiful day. Cold. It was like 28 degrees that morning. Northwest wind, high pressure, clear blue skies. Um, started off, the morning was kind of slow. And then he ended up coming in, you know, later in the morning. That hunt was complicated by uh, a coyote coming in about 9 o'clock. We talked a little bit about this uh, through messaging earlier. But this coyote's rolling out of the timber. And this farm is full of coyotes. And so I thought, well, you know, I wasn't seeing much deer. I'd seen a fawn, a doe, and maybe a small buck. And so I'm going to try to shoot this coyote. And I just squeak at him with my mouth, and he comes in, and I shoot him, and I didn't hit him well. He kind of wheeled into the arrow when I shot, and I wasn't quite sure where I shot him, but the, I didn't get a pass through. The arrow was uh, just hanging out, and he ran back into what we call the the peninsula. And I was just trying to I was reviewing the footage and talking with my camera guy, like what, where did I hit this thing, and what happened. And the next thing we know, we hear a bunch of grunting, and I look over, and here comes Prodigy with another small buck and uh, chasing a doe. And he just, it all happens really, really fast, but he runs in to 15 yards. And this particular tree, the previous landowner had, uh, he was a uh, traditional archery hunter. And so he had to stand in that tree like at 12 feet. And that doesn't work real well. It's an old cottonwood. There's no branches on it. And so with another camera guy and, like, into November with minimal leaf cover, I usually I, – I need, we need to get higher so we don't get picked off. So that morning, I actually climbed into the old stand, and then I put four more sticks and a pair of stands. So I was about 35 feet off the ground, which – I don't normally try to get that high, but in the dark, you know, doing a hanging out in the dark, I don't quite realize how high I am. And we ended up being way up there. And at 15 yards, uh, you know, anybody that's been bow hunting and had a deer kind of come under them that close, that that's a really steep angle. And I've had big bucks before that I end up hitting in the shoulder blade because of that. So, you know, I aim a little bit back to make sure I don't hit the shoulder blade. And I hit him where I was aiming, which was basically back to the lungs. Got a nice mule kick, and he runs off chasing this doe still grunting he didn't even know what happened and uh review the footage i end up getting down checking the arrow got bright red blood immediately bubbles in it so i know it's a long hit and we're pretty confident so we call the troops and everybody comes over and we review the footage we all agree we're good to go it's been about three hours and we pick up the trail well as we're trailing this buck he's bleeding great out of both sides high spray up on trees i mean he's just i'm like this deer's not gonna be far at all we're all just super confident as we're going down the blood trail and then we end up it's uh it's a wetland so there's canary grass and sand and it's a pretty difficult uh area or type of terrain to follow a blood trail in and at some point we got four guys kind of looking and someone says i got blood over here and so we just jump to that blood and we keep going well we unintentionally got on the coyote blood trail and the blood trail was fizzling out. And I was like, man, this is weird. How does this happen? That blood trail was so solid. And eventually I find the broken arrow that had stuck in the coyote. So I realized, Oh man, we're on the coyote trail. So we backtracked till I knew that it was good lung blood and ended up finding where they diverged. Um, there's a bunch of driftwood from the previous year where it had flooded were all these trees that were just stuck in our timber and and prodigy had jumped through all these uh downed trees and so we climbed over all that stuff and got back on his trail and we trail him all the way across the peninsula back to the river and we find a big bed with frothy lung blood in it and no deer and uh i keep following the blood trail and we're all just starting i'm slowly getting more and more nervous as i watch the blood so trail just go right into the river and uh, it's not a small river. It's a, it's a pretty good-sized river, and it's, it's relatively high and got a good current on it at this time of year. So immediately I'm concerned. I mean, I've lost deer in rivers and bodies of water before, growing up hunting in the swamps of Louisiana where you lose the blood trail. And I was pretty nervous about what might have happened. You know, a, a double-lung deer, did you make it across? Like, not sure so I'm hoping that he, when he got in the river, he immediately regrets his decision. He swims back to the bank. So we actually go walk down our side of the river a little bit and get down on the sandbar, and we immediately find blood. And this is a little bit hard to interpret in the video. And so we're looking there, and there's coyote tracks all up and down the bank, and there's no uh, deer tracks at all. And um, what I concluded, and we don't really dive into the explanation in the video, but this this I think this coyote goes into our peninsula, and then as he's coming back out of the peninsula, he stumbles across the coyote that I shot. He stumbles across Prodigy, you know, near death. I don't think that double lung deer lived for super long, and uh, but I had shot that coyote probably 15 minutes before I shot the deer. And I think that's what got the deer up out of his bed, and he was able to crash into the river, and then the coyote jumps down on the sandbar and kind of watches the deer float away is how I envision it happening. But uh, that's none of that's in the video, but this sandbar is covered in blood and coyote tracks and no hoof prints, so obviously the prodigy didn't walk back out of the river and then go back into the river. So the coyote that I shot was right there where I'd ended up, you know, his deer bed was. So moving on we call the neighbor who owns the ground across the river. I get permission to go check and we drive around. It's about a 15 minute drive to the nearest bridge and we get all the way around there and we just are scouring the bank and find no sign. So my assumption at this point is he didn't make it across. He died somewhere in his effort to swim across and he's floated downstream. And so we're getting pretty bummed. We're about six hours into the recovery at this point. And, uh, I'm thinking, you know, he just sank and he's gone. And so I'm just walking down the river and I'm glassing uh, some of the driftwood or uh, log jams that are on the sides of the river from trees that were eroded and fell in. And I can see something across the river in the far bank that looks like maybe a piece of a deer sticking up out of the water. And in the binos, it, it looks that way. He's in a pile of logs, but it looks like a deer We actually had a drone with us, so we get the drone out, fly fly it over there, and you can clearly see it's a deer. It's it's just a butt end of the deer, and the head is submerged under this log jam. And um, so, you know, what's the chances it's some doe or small buck? But we're going back and forth like it's got to be the deer that I shot. And he's got just enough air in his body cavity that he's staying afloat. And so me and the guys talk it over. We don't have a boat we got a canoe back all the way back on our place that we could go back around and get, but it's getting dark. You know, this is this 200 deer that I shot that I finally found. I don't want him to sink. I can't. I don't have the number to the neighbor that he's, uh, you know, he's he's stuck up against the opposite bank of where we're standing now. So he's back on our side, but it's the next neighbor down. I don't have the number. Can't get in touch with him. And uh, just after some discussion, I said, you know what, I'm going to swim over there and i'm going to check and see what deer this is make sure it's him and then i'll just tie him up to the trees and then we can make sure he's not going to sink come back get warmed up go get a boat do whatever we got to do and so i just stripped down it's about 40 degrees at this time it was 27 degrees um that morning frost on the ground and everything and it had warmed up the high was about 42. so pretty chilly water (laughs) and uh i swim across the river and uh, climb up on the uh, down tree there. Walk over, grab him by the legs. Another thing you don't see in the video is how difficult it is for me alone to lift this 240-pound deer out of this water. He's waterlogged. He's full of water. You look like and a he's... stud.
2: You look like you just yeah. grab
1: and pull
3: right yeah.
1: out. <laughs> I know. Everyone that has ever watched it said, "Dude, what the heck? You just like swim over there. You just grab, lift him up, and swim back." I'm I was like, jacked. Yeah, I, I was jacked. That's not <laughs> sure what that happened. Was
3: <laughs> The power I mean, of they editing. Did a good job
1: making me look good, but uh, that, that's that's not what happened exactly. I mean, that current's got him submerged under the head. It's actually the root ball of a of a big shack bark hickory that had tumbled into the river. And so, man, I'm yanking on him, yanking on him, yanking. On, I'm just expending all my energy and uh, getting pretty worn out. I'd swam over there with um, forty feet of a like a black tow rope kind of thing and so i ended up just using a little physics I, I you know i pull up on his leg his rack pops up out of the water it's one of the coolest shots i've i've uh, i mean i love that shot on video it looks so cool his rack just kind of popping up out of the water i'm able to make a little lasso hook it around his antlers and then i tie part of the rope around the root ball and i'm using kind of making a pulley till i can get him up high enough to grab his front legs and eventually i get him up on onto the tree and I'm span. I'm sitting there thinking, all right, he's here, he's safe, he's not going to go away. We can do whatever. Sun's going down. I'm talking back and forth with the guys, and uh, say, you know what? I think if I push him in right here, I've got 40 feet of rope to work with. I can swim to the end of this rope, and then I'll just tow him back across. And uh, ultimately, probably not the smartest thing. I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't encourage anyone <laughs> to do that. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I was a lifeguard you know, in college, I was like, I'm a strong swimmer, I can do this, you know, my, my, uh, I forgot about my dad bod, but um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get him in the water, and uh, get him back across, and right, right when I'm fatiguing pretty well, I can re- reach my feet down, and, and fill the sandbar, and one of the guys walked out, and grabbed my hand, and we tow him up, and man, what a sense of relief to get that deer back on our side of the river, and have him recover.
2: Yeah, when you guys pull him up, on the land that shot where you guys are pulling them up and the rack actually is on land. That's one of the coolest shots. I think, but yeah, that drone yeah. shot of when you're pulling on them and then his rack finally comes up. I couldn't imagine the feeling of like, Oh my God, it is the deer that I shot. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, yeah. I'd be, I would be like, this is just some random deer <laughs> that died. You know what I mean? It's floated up in here. But when that rack pops up and that drone catches it, that's a, that's a pretty epic, epic shot. But yeah, when it's, when you're on the other side of the river and they got the, the full rope linked, and yeah. the buck's like drifting away and you're swimming. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is not back. Yeah, it was like back.
1: pure euphoria. I mean, it was just – you know, there, there's lots of – all of us deer hunters know there's lots of ups and downs when you're going on a difficult blood trail. And you go from the highest to highest to lowest lows. and I, I mean, at one point I thought, this deer that I that, – a, a large part of me didn't want to shoot just because he was a four-year-old. You know, no matter how big he is and and I'm a, I mean I'm a just a obsessive bow hunter. Like part of me didn't want to shoot him, but it's just crazy. It's crazy to keep passing that opportunity in this environment. Anyway, you can go on and on about that and the pros and cons of that, but you know, imagine how I felt emotionally when I was like I, I wasn't going to shoot him. I passed him. I decided to shoot him and then I'm going to lose him. I'm going to I'm going to kill this deer and never recover him. And once he went to the river, I'm like, this is this is exactly what's gonna happen. Like, you know, the dear gods are punishing me, you know? <laughs> passed and they have passed him and I'm like, Oh, you know, just like pure pure euphoria. I was yeah. gonna say
3: in the video you could just kinda tell by your body language you're like this is a joke, right? Like yeah. like this is this yeah. is a oh, joke. Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, like you can't make this stuff up. And I, I think I said in the video, it's like if we weren't filming this, no one would believe it. Yeah, I, it's just, yeah, when you're on
2: that sandbar and the guy's like, there's no deer tracks here. When there were the blood and you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's all coyote tracks. I'm like, yeah. the coyote came back around? I'm yeah, like,
3: yeah, this and
2: is I, I kind of wish we would have
1: dived in that. We got a lot of questions about that. I'm like, what makes sense here? I was like, that coyote freaking jumped this deer out of his bed. I mean, how long does a double lung deer live? I mean, let let's. I mean, I gutted this deer on the sandbar big hole through the lungs i mean it's i've got pictures and everything i mean it, was, it there, there's it's very hard to believe that deer lived, you know more than an hour at most and, and probably not that long how and, far was uh, that bed from where you shot him total 400 yards 400 yards 400 yards and i you know i have kind of like when we were going we all thought based on the video and the and the blood trail and i've been on i've been on uh, over a hundred blood trails you know i mean i've seen a lot of them but based on the blood trail and what we knew where the shot was and how the arrow looked, all of us were, you know, he's going to be dead in 100 yards. We, we were just certain of that. And then as, as we weren't finding him, I thought, well, you know, he's chasing that doe. He's all revved up, high testosterone. He's still grunting running off with a hole through his body. You know, maybe that helped him get a little farther. But, you know, anytime you find a bed and the deer's not in it, that's a terrible sign. And I I keep just going back like what is going on? And there's like literally frothy just piles of foam blood. Yeah, in that just bed, air bubble, you know, bo- you know air bubble and foam it, in there. You're like this is so weird. What would make him get up? And and it's you know we contemplated was it us on the trail that we bump him up out of the bed? Well, we picked up the trail three hours after I shot him. There's just no way. You know, I, I just don't think there's any way that we bumped him. And so what else makes a a, a near deer dead, uh, near dead deer, get up out of a bed and jump in a river. And then I find all that coyote sign right there and uh, confirmed by the blood in the tracks is this coyote that I had wounded. And I'm like, that's got to be what pushed him into the river. But And then I, I range it with my rangefinder, And, you know, he floated about 750, 800 yards down river before he got caught in that log camp. So he went, I mean, he went a ways down river. Wow. Uh, you know that's almost that's almost half a mile or so.
2: Yeah, and he was on the same side, so more than likely he, you know, he was so close. Didn't to death, make it far. He just got out there, yeah. got ten foot into the water, and you could even see when he was going down that hill from the video, the tracks. You can tell that he's barely standing. He's like sliding and
1: right. You know, he's hurt.
2: He's, he's hurt bad. He's hurt, so that makes sense. He got out there ten foot, and then just probably flopped over mm-hmm. and laid there for a while. And then the current finally just took him down. So
1: luckily, yeah, I mean, <laughs> luckily had air in his abdominal cavity and I hadn't punctured any hole in his abdominal cavity. That, that, that air in his abdominal cavity is the only thing that kept him up because his lungs, I mean, big holes through both sides just took on water and you wow. got to think he drowned like, you know, if he, if yeah. he, he was already almost dead, he, he couldn't breathe very long. And what this river, it's um, downstream of where he got in. It's a big hairpin turn. I mean, it's, it's just a big hairpin. And so the fast current is on our side of the river. So when he got in, he was in the fast current. It just, there's no way it just took him down. And he just stayed along that outer bank. Yeah. I mean, he, he would have had to have been really strong to make it across because it's, it's probably a hundred yards across. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's a, far. You can tell when you're swimming. You're like, damn, that's like a, that's a pretty good-sized river, you know what I mean? So Yeah.
1: And where he went in, it's steep banks on both sides and, and about that far across. Where I swam across, you know, the sandbar shortens it down to maybe, I don't know, 75 yards or so because the sandbar goes out there a little ways. But, um, I mean, where he went in, it, it, the opposite side is like a straight-up 10-foot cliff. Yeah. Know? So I thought, well, if he got out, he got out on that sandbar. And obviously there were no no sign over there, so ended up figuring it out. But I and mean, that's the most that's the craziest hunt. It's not so much the hunt; you know, it's an awesome deer. It's a really short hunt. It's the recovery that sort of makes the video and makes the story. It's just like the craziest recovery I've ever been a part of.
2: Yeah, it's a giant buck, and you know, awesome that you passed him and then decided to shoot him and he got the second encounter. But then the recovery, I mean, tracking the coyote, I I, I <laughs> I've done something similar to that, but. I tracked the blood trail, so I'm hunting public. I just shot a really solid nine-pointer, and I do the thing where, oh, yeah, smoked him. I leave, go back to the truck. There's a guy there. I said, hey, I just killed a buck, and of course, you know, he, he's like, yeah, I'll come help you, you know, being a good dude. And we get on this blood trail, and I had seen two guys carrying a doe out like Indians on a stick. They just tied their feet oh. on a stick, and I got on the blood trail. Of those that dough dripping from them, carrying it out on the stick, and then I'm tracking, 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 and I find a giant gut pile, and I'm like, someone's done gutted my deer and rolled out of here. You know what oh, I mean? man. And then the guy got to talk. You know, we got to talking like, what the heck, you know, it's going on? And he's like, oh, I'll bet you that's because it was weird to me that the deer circled back from where he came from after I shot him. You know. Yeah. And, uh, we ended up just leaving that night and I came back, but it was like midnight and we're at the freaking gut pile. I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm like, there's no way this deer went this far for one. And then yeah. for two, I'm like, and it was the weirdest blood trail either. There was like human footprints on it and stuff. You know what <laughs> I mean? You're like, uh. but yeah, I, I've been there. So when you're tracking the coyote, I'm like, oh man, and then luckily you found that arrow. Cause if you wouldn't have found that arrow, mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it, because I think it's the camera guy's like, "There's your arrow," and then he's like, "But your whole arrow is back there."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, "There's your arrow," and I was like, "No, we had a pass you." It's yeah. Like, oh, I, I mean, at this point on this blood trail, I I forgot I shot a coyote. I mean, I'm not thinking about this coyote oh, yeah, no. at all, right? You're like, I just it's killed a, a giant. It just I'm hits like... me like a ton of bricks. I'm like. It's the coyote arrow, and we all do, oh, oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, we were talking about, like, something's not right. You know, we're, it's like a, it's dark blood instead of that bright red blood we had. It's it's just spotty. And, I mean, I think eventually I would have said, we got to go backtrack. There's something going on. I mean, there was just something wasn't adding up, you know. and, and uh, But, yeah, the arrow helped us sort of realize that a little bit quicker. And uh, But we were probably on the coyote trail for 100 yards i mean you know this this peninsula is um the peninsula is probably 80 to 100 acres i mean it's a it's a big long peninsula that that the river just another big hairpin curve in the river so the coyote goes way in there i mean you know who knows how far before he turns around and comes back on the opposite bank where the deer had uh, bedded because the deer basically crossed the neck of the peninsula and uh you know and had bedded down like right on the edge of the river and that coyote just was had gone into the peninsula and was coming back out on the opposite bank and stumbled across him. but
2: yeah i've uh, i've let a deer sit for five hours and it's been half eight by coyotes before yeah so it don't take yeah, long had the for same. them coyotes to it's unbelievable that you think oh you know it's one of those shots where it's hard a away and you tucked it up in there but didn't yield kick, you know what you I mean, and then then you start thinking, man, maybe I was a little further back, maybe it wasn't as steep as angle as I thought, you know, and I didn't get a pass through, and then you're starting to all these, and you're like, I'm just gonna let them set for a while, and then uh, go in there, and you know, half of it's gone, but it don't take them long to find those deer that are close to death, I don't think, and
1: it's it's true. I mean, I've had them, I've had them, you know, it took me 24 hours to recover them and and. And no, no coyotes found them. And then I've had them. There, there was a hunt I'll never forget. I was hunting public land in Kansas. Uh, it's probably about just 2008 or 2009. And um, I'm in northeast northeast Kansas. Had some big bucks in one of those walk-in hunting areas. And I'd hunted out there for a week, seen some great deer, shoot, shoot a buck. And I'm all pumped up. It's the middle of the day. I shot this deer at 11 a.m., 11.30 walk back to the truck with my stand and, and my bow and I get my deer cart and all my equipment to get him back out of there and I I walk back in it's been about an hour and I uh, pick up the blood trail and the deer's dead not far in there and he's nearly completely eaten that fast in the middle of the day so that's like an extreme example you know and it's just crazy sometimes I think if they're just passing by obviously they got good noses on them and
2: yeah, you get uh, three, four coyotes on there, I think they could munch it, it so down yeah. pretty much. But, homie, that, the buck you shot on the buck nest, that was about 10 hours, wasn't it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they, it wasn't touched at all. No. So it just goes to show you just the luck of the draw, whether a coyote right. runs past yeah. there or not. And then it goes back, you know, if that was a heavy coyoted area, you know, like you said. That's the problem, yeah. And that's what happened to me, the, you know, homie hunted out there with me, and there's just every night at sunset you can hear them ripping and then there's a pig confinement close to there and they throw out all the baby pigs you know what i mean so they're getting fed so they just keep the population just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger so um that was the problem there but like on your place i mean we've killed one coyote down there in turkey season but yeah but uh 10 hours and that deer wasn't wasn't scaved and like i said it died real quick i was saying we
3: smelled him about 80 yards away too yeah so yeah oh
1: interesting yeah yeah our farm we definitely need to do some predator management i mean we've we uh it's about an hour from where i live so it's it's hard to run traps and things like that but we've gone out there a few times coyote hunting we killed a couple but it's hard to kill them like that we really need to be able to trap them
2: yeah we we were seeing
1: coyotes god for every hunt last year i was seeing a coyote It, it just that's that's a lot of coyotes you're seeing them that often
2: yeah, get a hold of Casey from the Manager Advantage, dudes. A, yeah. dude, dude, wipe him out. <laughs> I have followed him, so yeah. it's amazing. He yeah, just, I should, if he's,
0: if he's for I, hire. I could definitely.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's he does for hire. I think he. I we got his personal Snapchat, and man, it's just insane. He just he goes down there, Oklahoma and Texas, just.
1: I've seen him in Texas running trap house. lines, just yeah. cleaning up, and yeah, I've and so. I've learned from him on his. Uh, on their on their series and so yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if i can you know replicate it but that's what i should do is just pay the guy yeah <laughs>
2: yeah the, i i'm always like i'm gonna do it and then i get i'm like that's that's a hard time to trap because you need to trap like the good time is you're still trying to get it done on a deer you know what <laughs> i mean right you know, like that late right. season grind and you should be out there trapping coyotes after the ground freezes and uh, me being we're a two buck state here so I'm lucky if I got done. one killed, and <laughs> I would never have two killed by then. You know what I mean? So
1: right, right.
2: Um, well, my problem is, I killed if I kill a decent one, then I just after an absolute giant, and I can't kill them every year like you do. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta <laughs> learn. That's why I'm having you on here. So it's like learn some stuff. So we wrote down a couple notes we want to talk about. You want to hit the first one, homie?
3: Yeah, Mike. So with a lot of these bucks that we cover in the legend series um a lot of these hunters have multiple encounters with these deer um obviously you had one within bow range and um at that point you were still passing this deer and uh you know i just wonder do you think that this deer um really just liked your piece of property or was it because of the lack of hunting pressure from the year before or do you believe that it was just like the core center of his core area
1: yeah, I don't, you know, he, he definitely didn't summer on us. Um, we had a little bit of intel from the year before. You know, even though it had flooded when the waters did recede, he spent a lot of the fall, uh, at least a rut, post-rut, on our farm. But he was he looked like a three-year-old, so you never know what they're going to do as they get a little bit older if they're mm-hmm. going to shift. This particular property is unique in that to the south, it's a bunch of uh tillable and directly to the north is a bunch of tillable so we do have a lot of the cover but it's it's a river it's a river bottom piece so everybody has cover along the river so these deer run you know up and down the river in the rut so i had very little confidence that he was going to make it uh and as i i'm had multiple people reach out to me on facebook from a mile away up the river that had pictures of him and so he was Kind of all over the place, but at this particular time, you know, it had been three days and he'd been chasing does around. We have 200 acres or so of dense wetland cover and we have way too many does, you know, and so in the rut, this particular farm is interesting because we'll pull a lot of deer in there. I mean, and we hunt smart. I mean, we try not to overpressure it. There's just a couple of us that hunt in there. And we're we're careful about getting in and getting out and trying not to just constantly blow deer out of there. So over the few years I've hunted this particular piece, we've seen in the rut. It it sucks in a lot of deer. I mean, you could definitely have just a random Roman big deer that comes in there. And so I think that was the main thing with him is lots of does, and he was bouncing from one to the next. And, uh, you know, it happened to be the doe that he was on was a homebody where on our piece.
3: I would say we just... Cody and I talk and you know we've said it before on the podcast and I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing about it but you know like if we see the buck like that has to be the time we kill him because we just don't get the multiple encounters with that same buck over and over and over again and right. you know I was just trying to see why you were still seeing him multiple times <clears throat> yeah
1: yeah so I mean I think um you know you strike why the iron's hot I guess I mean like I said I wasn't- I, there, there was a potential chance that he, he went off and never came back. I mean, there were other deer on this farm that we see every hunt. I mean, they live on the farm. And this wasn't necessarily that deer. But, you know, I had daylight photos of him November 1st, uh, the morning of November 2nd. I filmed him the night of November 2nd. And then I, that was a Saturday. And then I, my next hunt back, because I had to go to work, work a couple days, was that, that Tuesday. And, um, you know, lo and behold, he's still around chasing does around. So I think a little bit of it in this situation was was luck. Uh, you know, had I had he not come near me and into and bow range, we would have seen how the rest of the season played out. I wouldn't have been surprised if, you know, we didn't have lots of encounters with him. I mean, if you follow our blog, you know, in Midwest told we do these daily blogs. I spent a lot of my season out on this particular farm because the year before I had sold. I'd sold my main farm with my cabin because it was a little too far away. and My kids were getting older and it was harder to get down there. And my wife and I wanted to buy land uh, closer to the house. And so we did that. And this particular year, I mean, this, this was the main farm I was hunting and there were a couple really nice deer that we filmed. I mean, last year, I think we probably filmed them 12 to 15 times, you know, and some of those deer when you have really good habitat, we do a lot of work. We put, I think we have about 12 acres of food plots on this farm. You know, we try to minimize pressure. This particular farm, we we can hold deer and grow them year to year. I mean, the deer I shot October 26th was a uh, five-year-old 173-inch deer that we had three years of history with. You know, so some of them, it works out pretty well. This deer, though, you know, who knows? A little bit of it was luck.
2: I think a, every every hunt a little bit of it is a luck but you yeah. I mean you got to be there That's you know right. what I mean and you guys That's right. you guys are hunting your your ass off in November and all year you know what I mean um so Yeah. and Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're putting your, you know you're putting the work in and setting those high high priority sets you know what I mean where you know that you know you got 3 years on the farm now you probably have a pretty good idea of where your you know where your rut stands are where your October stands are and uh that just goes back to you know, being out there and learning, learning what it takes. But you were talking about that stand being really high. And this is something we like to touch on quite a bit is people always have different opinions on how high they need to be. What, what is your ideal height? Um, go, go if you're just out there hunting by yourself and then go, if you have a camera guy.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of thing. There's a little bit that plays into that. Um, in general, I like to be high and I, I like to be high, particularly since I started filming, you know, probably 10 years ago, just because I have so much stuff in the tree and there's a lot more movement when the deer is coming in. And so, you know, sometimes that five feet higher just out of their line of sight, they won't catch movement as easily when you're trying to move the camera and get on them. So, you know, before I started filming, you know, 16, 18 feet, I I wouldn't really get higher than that. I, I had, in Louisiana, I used a climber. You know, I'd just latch it on, climb up, and I'd like to stay lower so I could see under the canopy because, you know, in Louisiana it's it's like big swamp woods. Um, so a little bit of my decision making with that is based on the environment I'm I'm hunting. I won't go sky high in a tree if I'm not going to be able to see anything. But a big part of what I choose right now is. Uh, is 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 based on movement and, and two people so right now if i have a camera guy we have two stands we've got our bags our camera gear he's moving i'm moving you know all this sort of stuff we do we do a lot better getting up so if I, i'm in a tree that doesn't have cover i go higher and if i'm a you know reasonable cover in a tree if i can find one with some branches on it limbs on it maybe a, a split trunk you know i kind of aim for that twenty five foot, twenty to twenty-five foot range right now as a standard hunt. Um and that's if you know the other thing that goes into that is if I got another guy with me to carry help me carry all the stuff in. Because <laughs> so yeah, sure. you know, we're doing hanging hunts, there's a lot of weight that goes into that. If I'm hanging a set though, I usually put a twenty foot set of sticks for a permanent set, and then I'll put another one. So I'll get that twenty-five foot range for my standard sets that I, I put on my food plot edges and good trees. My hanging hunt style will vary a little bit. Like, I hunt public land still. I hunt. I do, like, some of the urban hunting, you know, and sometimes I self-film those hunts. Well, I'm not necessarily going to carry in six to eight sticks just to get way up in the tree. So, sometimes I have those muddy, quick sticks. I really like them. They're just, like, little two-bracket sticks. They're short. And, um, you know, I can throw my pack with my camera gear, my, uh, my stand on my pack, and then I can carry in a rack of those sticks and my bow on the other hand well four of them's a lot lighter than six to eight and they stay bound together better so i mean some of these hunts over the years i vary from i mean there's a couple of them where i'm probably only 14 15 feet up in the tree because i only got three of these little sticks to get up there but my, my preferred height's at 20 to 25 foot range
2: yeah we're I'm the same saying. way we yeah. noticed last year we were probably right about 18 mm-hmm. and we felt like we just needed to be like four foot higher you know four yeah. or five foot higher so we're gonna i'm thinking we'll just take your sticks and one of my i'll just carry one of my minis and just get us that extra even yeah. that extra three foot you know what i mean just to get us up a little bit more and it's a pound and a half for me you know what i mean so yeah right right not right, a lot right, yeah. but yeah when you when you're packing in you got the weight comes into factor and then if we film our stuff too and you got the tree arm and all that weight comes into play and then you're running a sony so the glass isn't crazy heavy but we're running uh canon and the glass is like it's a brick yeah it's <laughs> one of the lenses is eight pounds you know what i mean so that's like right. the stand you know what
0: i mean so yeah well so. what's
1: funny is I, I we carry in actually our standard the standard camera setup i've got a canon 4k you know camcorder that comes in and then we've got the sony mirrorless dslr and often we have two of those i mean i'll have one and the camera guy will have one because i'll just shoot b-roll myself and then he'll shoot b-roll and then he's got the camera on the camera arm and then we've got like three or four gopros and so the the camera often i've got a pile of cameras and (laughs) You know, a, a lot of times I regret that. I'm like, do we really need to bring all this? But it's fun. We're all in there
2: filming yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. I want you to keep bringing it, keep bringing the content you guys are bringing. I, I don't know who's editing your stuff, but you're, you guys are filming it. They're editing really good. And Bill's just got like the perfect voice for, yes, for voiceover does. and stuff. It's just like <laughs> yeah. premium, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah.
1: It's very soothing. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is, it is super soothing voice. You know I I, mean? I told
3: Cody like, well, it's probably four months ago now when we were getting our videos put together. I'm like, dude, we just need to hire Bill Winky to come in here, do our voiceovers, <laughs> just hire him for two hours, say, Hey here, Bill, read this. All right, thank you. See you later, man.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. We, don't, we don't have a voice like that. No. He just crushes it. But uh,
3: yeah, yeah, he might
1: he might respond to your email if you put that in. I'll pay you for voiceovers. <laughs> you know? yeah. Depending on what you're offering. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we don't have a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could put you
2: on an eighty inch buck. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, oh, right. I'm, a, I'm
1: all right, man. But Yeah. All right. Oddly well. enough, you know, that we used to have all the production in house. We kinda of ran that in house. Bill had we have the interns. We had a couple of full time guys. Um You know, those guys that broke away and uh, created uh, the hunting public. And then we still had, you know, some in-house guys. Jared Mills does production and Josh Sparks and these guys. And then actually last year, we uh, bought or created the production company. So we have a production company called 41 North Media. And uh, I'm I'm part owner of that. Jared Mills is part owner of that, and a couple other guys. And we actually produce Midwest Whitetail and Chase in November, and um, some series for Cabela's and some series for Realtree. And so that's so we're we're now fully in charge of all that production, and we've got a great group of guys that are really talented at doing that.
2: Now, you said Forty One North Media. Yep, forty one. Right, yeah, I got you. Follow already. I'll follow your content. And try to learn something. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, we're
1: still putting all our content on Midwest Whitetail, but we're uh, we're you know we're doing other productions and we'll we'll put some of our Western content. Like I've got a big elk hunt coming up. We'll put some of our Western content on our forty one North stuff because we don't have a really another place to put that. But nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't want to take up your whole night.
2: We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think. I know a lot of people watch this film, but I think it's just a story that um, really needs to get out there. It's just an awesome story of a giant whitetail. And like you said, the recovery makes a story. It's it's an epic, awesome, bright tail. it got points everywhere, you know what I mean? But um, the story on the end makes it completely unique, you know what I mean? So that's why we wanted to have you on.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me. It's a... Uh yeah it's 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 a fun one it's it's a fun story to talk about i love talking about it talk about it every day and uh i don't think i'll ever top it as far as the buck combined <laughs> with the hunt and the recovery it's it's a crazy one
2: that right there is another legend episode coming at you and i'm going to say this legend right here is the best ever filmed le- legend that we've covered yeah um if you guys have not watched this film, Midwest Whitetail, check it out. Dude swimming across the river, dragging a 200-incher on a rope. Like, come on. It don't get better. Multiple blood trails, <laughs> six hours in. Like, it's just super cool.
3: If you haven't watched Chasing November, period, you yeah. need to
2: start. Yeah, that is... I can't believe the Southern guys... I'm putting guys, that out there. I'm the putting Southern that out there that it's out there. <laughs> yeah, the Southern guys are slacking on that. I know. They, that's just... I mean, it's Midwestern tails. So for sure, for sure. Maybe they haven't. We'll cut
3: them a break. Yeah, they're kind of worried
2: <laughs> All right, guys, you know the deal. We say it every time. Um, do the right thing. Get out there. Leave a legacy. And Whitetail Legacy's out until we'll be coming in your ear holes next Wednesday.